And welcome to the 91 Day Success Podcast. I'm Jonathan, your host, and I am thrilled today to have with me James Bullis. We are going to have a great conversation today talking about all things uh, marketing and AI and all that. James hails with Venton Media. And uh, James, before we get started, can you give everybody kind of an elevator pitch of who you are? And let's talk just maybe a little bit about your marketing background and our joint passion for AI stuff. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. So I've been a web designer for 25 years. I uh, When I got my first job in the industry, I thought I was going to build web websites, but it turns out I ended up becoming a marketing analyst. And so we didn't have a whole lot of information back in those early days is what we, we could do, but I got a big appreciation for search engine optimization and realized how powerful they, they could be together. And so I always pride myself that we build websites with, with marketing in mind. Uh, did that for quite a while. When uh, social media started coming out, I started down the path of creating private social networks for some mm. subject matter experts. And uh, that was way before its time. Now we've got all kinds of platforms that do that for us, but we had to kind of figure that out then. And then lately, we've just been out on our own with Vinton, uh, building websites for people in the community. We've been working with other marketing agencies, and our last big push has been with AI for the last year. Well, very cool and very exciting. I'm, I'm really excited to talk. You know I'm, I'm a huge fan of AI, and I love using it literally every single day and I love incorporating the business, but it seems so often I'm, I'm sharing with others what to do and I'm, I'm actually hoping and looking forward to learning a few things from you today. So, so cool. happy to have you with us as, as we do that, let's kind of set that, that opening stage. I know you mentioned that you've been in this game for, I believe you said 25 years or over 25 years. Is there anything that's remained constant from your perspective, James, over those 25 years or has literally everything changed from, from where you're sitting? You know, I'm a student of marketing and one of the things that I've done is I've researched the history of marketing. It's really kind of funny. I, I narrowed everything down to pretty much the same 40 or so strategies that have existed since the beginning of time, really. Uh, the only thing that changes is the medium. Um, I've mm -hmm. got this uh, textbook back here that I picked up at a used bookstore. It's a marketing textbook from the 60s. And they were the strategies there would fit right in with internet marketing. In fact, they were predicting that the internet was going to become a thing. And that was 30 years before uh, wow. it became mainstream. You know, so it's really fascinating. Uh I'm one of those kinds of people that don't that don't jump on new trends. I'm not a first adopter, and uh, and so I've I've been pretty good at not you know shifting sands all the time, whatever the latest fad is. But we stay focused on the things that have been constant. So I think email marketing will live on forever. I still think that there's power in web design and having that personal website out there. Uh, search engine optimization is definitely going to change, but it will exist in some form or another. Mm -hmm. uh, so as much as things change, things are also remaining constant under under the undertow, if you will. Well, that makes so much sense to me. I know I just had a conversation the other day knowing that, you know, we're both in the digital marketing field and that. And while my agency doesn't build websites anymore, somebody asked me, if said, do I even need a website nowadays? And my response was absolutely for so many reasons, probably more so now than ever because of the fact that, you know, I think especially as you take a look at advertising and all that, 
I don't know your thought. My thought in that is that people nowadays are, are looking for more of a connection than what they've ever been in the past. And it's Absolutely. so important as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, as a professional, that not only do you run that ad and do you have that, that social media profile, but you need the website. And that's really where you demonstrate your expertise. It's also, I think, from your perspective, I'd love your input, but it's where that SEO happens so that Google can direct people to you on an organic basis so that you can be seen as that expert in your niche and you can get that traffic uh, and all that. Talk to me a little bit from an SEO perspective. I agree with you. I think it's changing, but I also don't think it's going away. What do you see if you were advising a business today in you know November of 2023, what would you recommend that they do as it relates to SEO for their business? Absolutely. I think one of the biggest opportunities where we can bring AI into the SEO uh, tasks that we're going to do on websites is context. The biggest mm. secret of SEO, like I never hear anybody talk about context. Everyone wants to talk about content. Mm -hmm. And I, and, and what we saw when generative AI became mainstream was I could create a thousand articles in 10 minutes. Well, that's fine. But what is the context of that? Is the context of that yes. actually contributing to the experience, the expertise, the authority, and the trust. Those are the four things that Google really wants you to have on your website. And that's why I think websites are still important because you need that personal space that you can make your own online that you actually own and not rent and that you have control over. I think what we're going to see in the coming days is the... Uh, the drawdown of the pixel in advertising. There's so many privacy issues out there with that. And I think I think the next best thing that we're gonna be able to do in order to capitalize on paid advertising is conversion rates. And so having your own website to be able to track those conversions is gonna be able to give you the data that you need in order to access better. So I think that having the website is great first place, but then being able to set a context that you can use to showcase your expertise, your experience, your authority, and your trust is going to be critical in the coming days of doing business online. No, I, I absolutely agree with you on that, James. I think that's going to become so critical across the board. You mentioned one thing to me that I think is so important as a business owner, and that's that you need the ability to control some of that online real estate. And while social media is great, and I post, as like you, I post all the time on Facebook and LinkedIn and those other platforms, I know, and, and I know you know, that at any moment, they could decide that, poof, they're gone. Uh, yeah. or my account's gone. And I have zero control over that because even though I may pay to have my blue check mark and things like that on Facebook, that doesn't mean I have the ability to talk to anybody, uh, certainly not to any human being, uh, when they decide that I've done something I shouldn't have done. Uh, just the other day, I was I was on Facebook, and, and as you know, I have got an AI group. And mm -hmm. I they said, hey, Jonathan, it's time to invite more people. So I thought, oh, okay, I'll invite more people. The 16th person that I invited all of a sudden got me suspended uh, for seven days. <laughs> and you have and no like, control. You, you just told me I had to invite people to my group, which is great. And I appreciated the reminder. I didn't do 160. I was literally counting. I'll go up to about 20 and I'll stop. I hit click number 16 and it says, oh, 
we, we you you violated our terms of service. Uh, you are currently only banned for seven days. And I'm like, banned from what? Now, it ended up fortunate. <laughs> I was only banned from inviting others for seven days, so I could still post. But I had zero control over that. And you and I have both met business owners who have literally had their accounts terminated, turned off, suspended, whatever. Yes. So I so agree with you on that on the website. You need something you can control because the rest of these companies, they can change the rules at any time and they've proven they will. Absolutely. I, I mean, how many times, I, you've been doing this long, a long time like I have, I can just only imagine the number of times that you have you know, spent time, invested money, consulted clients to go and do this particular thing. You remember when pages used to have a check mark way back in the oh, yeah. day? You know, yeah. I thought, wow, that was actually kind of hard to get that check mark, and then you get, and then they, and then they do away with it. You know, and so mm -hmm. uh, I think even like LinkedIn at one time was trying a stories feature uh, that they had rolled out to some people, and there was a lot of promise in that. It was. You know, they were competing with Instagram and the advent of TikTok at the time, but it just didn't work for their platform. But I could just I could just see all these content creators that are spending all this time trying to utilize this new feature. And they're like, eh, it's not going to work. And then they take it away. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, again, we've seen that happen. Things, trends come and go. And, and these platforms, they're always trying to figure out what can they do to keep more people, more eyeballs on the platform longer. Right. And I appreciate that. But that there's no guarantee that, you know, uh, the person I was talking to, they're like, you know, I've got a Facebook page and it's really active and they had about 3,000 followers on there and they apparently are, are doing well with that. They're like, I just don't see the need for a website. And I'm like, yes, but when Facebook decides they're going to change that, right? what are you going to do? Right. You know, um, it wasn't, I mean, it was a while back, but I, it wasn't forever ago, at least in my life, because you and I have both been in this for a couple of decades. I remember when Facebook came out and announced that every business page was going to cost $10,000 a year. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> I now, think again, that's that when, I think that's when we started trying to research how to build our own social network, because at that time, you know, like Twitter popped up, LinkedIn popped yep. up, MySpace was in full boom. And then there were a few scripts you could pick up that you could go and build that same functionality. And I had people, I had customers who were subject matter experts that uh, wanted, they didn't want to set up on, on Facebook. They wanted to create right. their own. Right. Yeah. And so that was a difficult uh, deal, but we, we actually did it. And funny thing is I built one during the last recession that completely changed this guy's business because he went from, selling $2,000 six month coaching programs to $49 a month for everything. And he went from, you know, having a few clients that he, that took care of him to having a thousand people paying $49. So those tactics worked. And that's the reason why they have platforms like that now where we can go and, and build on top of, but again, those are rented platforms. Those are not platforms that you have control over that you can, right. you know, create this piece of, of landscape, you know, digital landscape out there. No, totally agreed. Totally agreed. Well, I know James recently you just released, or at least I just heard about it recently. You released an, a new course called forging your brand engine. How does, uh, how do you, and again, how do you use AI to lever or leverage AI in your business? I'm not even saying it right. Tell us a little bit about that course and, and what, 
what can we gain from going through that if we're interested in how to leverage AI for our businesses? Yeah, so to tell you the story, um, like I said before, I'm not really a first adopter of new technologies. Like I kind of wait for it to take a seat and if yep. it looks like it's going to take. And, and um, so I had used tools, like I used Jarvis when it first came out, wasn't super impressed. I think I bought a few tools off of AppSumo, like Writer. I think there was like an AI SEO. Uh, they were still running probably on like a DaVinci 2 or something like that. You know, they weren't they weren't the best LLMs at the time. So sure. the outputs weren't that great. So I was like, well, it'll, it'll come around. Like, oh, I'll just wait a bit. Where I really started getting impressed was with Adobe's products. They Adobe came out with Sensei, which started integrating some AI tools. And so I was like, well, there's going to be something going on here. But when ChatGPT came out, I was just totally not, not paying attention to it at all. It was about January. I was working on a new business idea, and I wanted to come up with a vision statement. And so I... I go to Google and I'm ask Google, what's the best way to create a vision statement? And obviously it gives me all these top websites to go to. So I go to the first one and it's ads and I can't, I can't actually find how to write a vision statement on this result. So I back out and I go to the next one. And after about 15 minutes, I was like, I wonder if chat GPT could help me with something like this. And so I set up an account I actually already had an open AI account because I was part of an AI startup a year before. So I already had the account. So I didn't have to wait wait for that. And within five minutes, I had created a vision statement. I asked it if it knew what a vision statement was. And then I asked it to give me some tips on how to create one. And then I had to generate one. I was like, wow, this is gonna, this is something different. Like it reminded me of the first time I used the internet. Right. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, and, 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 you know, back then we didn't even have the search engines. We just had like directories and you had to kind of find your way around. And, but it's exactly what it felt like was the first time I used the internet. And so although I use it to, to create a vision statement, I said, what if I start applying marketing frameworks and, and take the step-by-step -step processes that I know that work and use it for that. And I was surprised to find that it could produce an outcome that was pretty consistent. And of course, over the months, GPT-4 has come out, plugins have come out, all these uh, other services have come out, uh, competing things have come out like Claude and Cohere and all these other mm -hmm. ones. Now we have open source LLMs. And so, um, and then obviously I use Jasper as well. And Jasper was good. I was kind of afraid that Jasper was actually going to figure out this idea that I had uh, when I went to their conference and they hadn't quite made it there yet. They're, they still haven't quite figured out exactly the same concept that I have. Mm -hmm. um, but as it got better, I realized that the order in which you ask the questions made a difference. So interesting. you have to be good at asking questions and inquiring but then I realized that the order that it came, because I, the more I used it, the more I understood it. Like I understood sure. that it uses tokens. You're limited to the number of tokens in a single chat. And so I started experimenting with the order of them. And I realized there was a logical order that you could ask the questions so that it generated content and built upon itself from that. And so for since January, I've been 
practicing this and studying this and trying to figure out a way to get a better response other than just the the basic, you know, AI responses that anyone can read <laughs> in a world of whatever, you know, yes, you can always see them out there, right? <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. And so I came up with this idea. I started uh, proposing it out there. And with plugins, I realized if I asked the questions in the right order, and then I took the responses and put them into a single PDF, I could load that PDF into a new chat with a plugin for Ask Your PDF mm-hmm. and use that as a vector database about the business and about the brand. And now they've introduced custom instructions. So I also include the steps to add, to create the custom instructions. And so a brand engine is essentially, you know, being able to create marketing collateral by having this set of custom instructions with this PDF attached to it, and then using one of those agent personas that is geared for marketing. And so having those three elements in that chat now I can go and ask it the questions and apply any marketing framework and I get really great uh, responses from it. Well, I think you're, you know, you're brilliant in the understanding that it is not just about AI. Uh, mm-hmm. In my mind, AI to me has really proven the phrase garbage in, garbage out. Right. Because if you don't ask the right questions and you don't ask them the right way, uh, the, the quality of what AI sends back to you is, is very different. Yeah. I often compare it as, you know, if you were if you were talking to a, a person that was working on your team and trying to explain something to them, you need to give ChatGPT the same type of information if you're asking for it to provide you with things back. You wouldn't go to an assistant and go, write me a blog post about Google advertising <laughs> right. and expect to have anything quality come out. You would say, no, I want to write about Google's uh AdWords platform, and I want to talk about their LSA ads, and I want to talk about specifically how it impacts this particular segment, this group. I want to talk about costs. I want to talk about what it takes to get qualified. And if you laid all that out, your assistant could do the research and write a good article for you. Sure. But everybody wants that easy button in my mind, or most everybody does, where they go, uh, I want a new blog post about Google ads, or I'm a plumber, and I want to write a you know, uh, write me a video script about uh, how to install a, a kitchen water faucet. Uh, and, and they don't give it any context whatsoever. And right. they don't say who the audience is for. And as a result, nothing happens. One of the things you talked about in your training that I had never thought of, admittedly, and that's why I love learning from you, was taking those responses, like you just said, and actually putting them into a PDF and then using that as data down the road. Can I ask, how did you come to that conclusion? Was it just through testing and, and iteration or what? How did you learn that and, and discover that tool, James? Yeah, so over time, I got real good at asking those questions and figuring out ways to get the best response. And then I was looking through some plugins and I thought, because so a little, a little tidbit you have to know about me, God allowed me to learn, teach myself HTML. And that's how I started writing websites. But for whatever reason, I cannot go beyond the front end layer. I, I just don't have the, I can read back end code. I can edit back end code. I can understand it. I can architect it. But just God never allowed me to be able to write it. And I think that's because oh, yes. God, God needs us to have other people in our lives to help build greatness, right? Oh, that's so, profound. I love it. So 
I could architect this whole program out and understand it. And I don't know why I went down this path, but it was okay, really it's important good. for me I like to tell it. you this. Yeah. This is good. Yeah. Um, but so what, oh, that's what it was. So I was trying to research some different ways to create an application. And I started learning about uh, things like Pinecone, which does vector databases. Mm-hmm. And then I wondered if, if I uploaded my PDF, could I make it basically serve as a vector database inside of ChatGPT so that I could still test this out for my clients in the meantime, while I'm waiting to go build this software. And that's where mm-hmm. I, that's the reason why I came up with that. You know, if I was to build a software, these are the things that I would give it. I want these custom instructions in there. I want this vector database and I want some kind of an engine driver that has competency maps that will keep everything in line and keep it on task with building marketing. And that that really blew it, blew it out of the water, but I'm gonna take it a step further. Now, I know you saw the uh, the uh, agent uh, prompts that Mario shared on my on my deal. He had shared the yes. Carl Young deal, and that blew me away because I thought I was pretty good at, at prompt engineering just because I know the questions to ask and how to do it. But that brought a whole new level of you could actually give it commands and tell it to do certain things. And I noticed in all of his prompts, he had emojis, and he said. It's amazing what you can, what what the AI can uh, understand by having these emojis in that. And so now, when I create my custom instructions, I also tell it to create a symbolic language that it understands with emojis, so that not only do I have the custom instruction, but I have a symbolic version of it that reinforces the idea in there. Wow. So you're basically getting it twice. So now I've got two of these things, and I've got about the average brand engine documents about 25 pages. So I have 25 pages of brand discovery that I can have it make sure and keep everything on, you know, on, on point, on context and inside the brand voice uh, that we did, you know, that we create using this brand engine process. Is that how you're able to stay within the token limits on that, James, and, and make sure, you know, I think you've got, what, 3,000 characters times two for your, your custom instructions. So you got 6,000 characters, basically. Is that how you get those 25 pages of, of information into that? Or, or how, did, how did you come? That's just amazing. I've never heard of that. I love that. Yeah. So I think, I think that what it is, the way that that plugin is set up inside of ChatGPT is that whenever I put in a prompt, like the next prompt, it's going to go through the custom instructions, go out and query it. So those 25 pages never actually hit the chat tokens. Oh. Yeah. So it's it's living out there in Ask, Ask Your PDF's ecosystem. And so it never actually enters the chat. But on top of that, in that prompt that Mario shared, there's a little snippet in there. And if you'll, if you'll read through some of that, it says every time you respond, reseat the tasks. And so yes, I remember that. That has eliminated hallucinations. And it's 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 kind of interesting. Like in that particular one, he wraps every response in the brain emojis, and the brain emojis are set to reseat the response. So every time it responds, it reseats the, the task again. It's just amazing, you know, like and and when I see other people write, you know, writing prompts and, and the way they do, I'm like, 
Yeah, but if only you did these few little steps, you could take it, you know, you can make it fly. <laughs> so for those that are listening in and then they're going, who's Mario and what are you guys talking about? <laughs> um, and I don't have the link and maybe we'll have to add it in later. Sure. Is it possible we can get um, a link to some of that that we can share out on the podcast? Because we can yeah. certainly then add that back in later. Yeah, I'd love to share the link to uh, to that particular persona. He Mario is a developer and uh, he's been dealing a lot in like with Meta's uh, AI stuff. Mm -hmm. And yep. I'm not sure where he came up with uh, the format that this prompt is written in, but it's got some really, really interesting things in it. So it's got, you know, the, the function to receipt. It has emojis in it. It also has competency mapping, which I had never even heard of before. But there's actually a standard out there on competencies. And so you can include these competency codes in the prompt. And those codes themselves represent an entire body of knowledge. You know, so by, by simply including these little codes in your prompts, you're representing an entire body of knowledge. Well, that that inspired me because that one is that that particular prompt is Carl Jung. You know, it's like yep. the chat GPT of Carl Jung. And I took it through some therapeutic sessions where I was testing its resolve. I've been I've been using that thing for a long time, and it is very accurate in keeping track of everything um, that we've discussed. But what that did was it opened up a whole new um, squirrel, if you will. <laughs> sure, absolutely. So Carl Jung uh, talks talks about personality typing. And based on his research, there's the Myers-Briggs typing indicator, which uh, has about 16 unique personality types. And there's all kinds Very of assessments out there. Yep. Uh, I would say DISC is probably the most scientifically sound. Um, but what I started doing was I started asking it about my 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 Myers-Briggs type. I'm an INFJ, which is a very unique type of personality. It's one of the it rarest is. personalities. And so I said, I want I am an INFJ. And so whenever you create content, I want you to create it from the standpoint of an INFJ. And it completely changed the way uh -oh. that it talks. It talks with more compassion. It talks with more inquisitiveness. And then I had another bright idea. I said, what if I know that my client is this particular type? What would it look like if I generated this from the standpoint of an INFJ to this other personality type? And it wrote it specifically. So it wrote it from my standpoint as, as compassionate, but it, it, it generated copy that was specifically geared to the way that that personality type would think and feel. You just blew my mind. It's, I never thought of that. It's, if it's amazing. To this podcast, guys, <laughs> if you don't know, I'll give you a quick hint here. Um, I'm an ENFP myself. Um, if that doesn't make any sense to you guys, go to 16personalities.com. It's a website that will let you take a test. It's free. I don't get anything out of this, but I love this stuff. And yeah. you can find out who you are. I, am a, I never thought... Uh, so actually putting that profile in and you're right four letters four I'm letters an ENFP. yes and now all of a sudden it knows all kinds of stuff about me it and if i can do that for yes. my audience Absolutely. wow you blew my mind wow I, I actually so one one thing i had to do was i asked it 
to rank the MBTIs by popularity. So there's three MBTI. These are Myers-Briggs personality yep, types yep. that are about 40% of the population. And so I'm, I, I want to go speak on stage because I believe that speaking is the, the best way that you can impact the most number of people Absolutely. at one time. Right. And so I said, I want to take my speech at, from the standpoint of an INFJ, and I want you to create a composite of these top three personality types. And then I want you to adjust this speech to match that type. So just imagine if I get up on stage and I have that thing dialed in to those personality types, I can instantly tickle the brain of 40% of the audience and almost guarantee a conversion. Wow. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Okay, this is this is the type of stuff that, you know, you pay consultants tens of thousands of dollars <laughs> right. for. This is... This is where I, prompt I, I, engineers I, make their money, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. But I mean, when you think about that, the ability for me as a writer or as a speaker or somebody on video to be able to say, all right, I'm an ENFP. And I'm, I love the idea you just mentioned of here's a composite of mm -hmm. the people that I want to work with. Now, see, I've done that with like marketing copywriters. I have a couple of copywriters that I really love their style, but I, there's like three of them. And so I had to do the same thing, create a composite style for these and give it a name so I can reference it moving forward. Yeah. Uh, and I was blown away with how that, but I never thought of pulling in the personality profiles. <laughs> now check wow. this out. I, I'm going to take it even a step further. Please, please. So obviously since that time, um, the first time I went to trafficking conversion song with digital marketer was yeah. in, I think it was 2015. And Ryan Dice had invited Sally Hogshead to become a keynote speaker. And so Sally Hogshead has her own assessment called How to Fascinate. And as a, as a person who was registered to go, she requested that every member complete a free version of this assessment. And so I got this assessment uh, from her and I've had it all these years. What was great about that is she was able to present the results up on the screen at Trafficking Inversion Summit and tell us a little bit more about ourselves. So I had that one. I've also taken a DISC assessment. I'm a 99D, which is like, like very, very driven. It's like the highest amount of driven you can be. And we're, then, we're in the same boat there. Yeah, I took an Enneagram. So I was like a 3W2. I don't even know what that means. I took <laughs> I took like, you know, six or seven of these other tests. And then uh, one thing I noticed, because I was, I was doing research on my wife and daughter, they are INFPs. And what uh, I created these reports for them so that they could understand themselves. And I gave them a version for myself so we could understand each other. And what I noticed in theirs is an INFP perceives in feeling and the way they perceive in feeling is by running everything through a value system. And so I never, I never considered the fact that there might be an assessment out there that would tell us about our values. And so I found a free assessment that can give you your values. I integrated that. So now I've got 15 of these different results from assessments that ChatGPT knows everything about, and I call it my personality stack. Um, basically, mm. Jonathan, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to add the human element into what we generate with ChatGPT. 
Absolutely. And if I can get to that point where I can make it work on ChatGPT, then my goal is to take this process, turn it into an application and be able to, I would imagine, utilize multiple different types of LLMs to get the best result out of it. So that's that's the goal. That's where I want. That's where I want to go with all this. Well, I love that at Goldman. It's interesting you say that because I just the other day was having a conversation with somebody and, and they said, you know what we need? We've got all these great AI tools and, and there's, of course, you know, new AI stuff being rolled out every day, although you and I know most of it's still using open AI's model. Mm -hmm. So you know, it's just different. It's as I say, it's different lipstick on a pig, so to speak, in right. most cases, not all. There's some great apps out there. But they, they said this and this made so much sense to me. What we really need is an app that for today's implementation would take and run this through ChatGPT, run it through Bard, run it through Claude, and then combine the best aspects to create a unique, in this case, document or whatever, that was the best of all three of those models put together. And Absolutely. I was like, wow, that would be so cool. I don't I, know how to do that, but I, that I would think be that's so how cool. content at scale works. I think that that's, um, I've talked to people uh, who've presented from continent scale, and that's where I got this idea to, to pull in multiple LLMs and then have your own LLM that creates a composite of those in order to get out that best result. But I, I haven't quite figured out how that works because, again, I God didn't give me the talent to be able to make that happen. But sure. I'm pretty, pretty certain that it's possible, and I think it would make a best case scenario. Oh, I love it. I love it. James, I know that you also do some speaking. And one of the things I always love to ask speakers when they're talking about AI, and I'm sorry, I'm so focused on this and not the agency stuff, but no I'm totally enamored. Generally, when I talk to speakers, they've they've got an overall goal at the end, because again, a lot of times speakers are, are talking to people that don't have a lot of experience with the AI. When you're speaking and you're talking to a group of people that are just okay, we're finally ready to, to learn more about this, this thing called AI and we think it makes sense and we really would like to learn how to use it. What do you want them to leave your session with as far as an objective or a goal or a, a next step, shall we say, that they should be taking based upon that discussion? That's funny you should ask that. I was just having a conversation with uh, a lady who was calling me every day to get me to come speak to a group of estate planners and tax yep. attorneys. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know anything about estate planning or tax attorneys. What can I possibly be able to say? And she said they had invited somebody to come speak to their group about AI. And he was a retired general. And he frankly scared the bejesus out of them. I bet. So, so that audience was left with a really bad taste of AI in their mouth. And I live in Oklahoma, so it's already the Antichrist, right? <laughs> so, I bet. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's already a hard enough time. So when she told me that, I got real relaxed because I realized I could come in and help. I, I basically want to remind them of the cycle that we went through with the internet. Everybody said the same things exactly. about the internet when it came Identical. out. Yes. And yes, anything that comes out, it can be used for good and it can be used for evil. But my, my point is, how can we take this opportunity and make it an opportunity to better mankind, to, to help Thank people you. educate? Like, like as I was going through these personality type things, I realized something really important 
that could probably change our entire education system. People, I think that kids are misdiagnosed with mental health issues simply mm-hmm. because they have one of these personality types that are a little bit different and a little and bit. They don't odd. like different in school. Exactly. Yeah. You know, when Henry Ford invented the school system <laughs> in order to keep the the workers working, it was all about trying to create employees that would work in his factories. And that's what they yep. want. They want conformity, right? But I believe that we're going to enter into a new age where knowledge is the most valuable thing and data is the most valuable thing. And how can we take that knowledge and data and apply a little bit of human wisdom to it to help our upcoming generations, to help our outgoing generations, to help speed up production? Um, And it's really, really fascinating. Even if you look at the history of technological advances, I don't know if you saw my my post on Facebook. I had asked, you know, what do you think was the first big technology that resulted in writing and mathematics and the wheel? Mm. And everybody thought, well, it must have been like boats or or something. It was copper. It was it was recognizing that you could use copper that you could then create more efficient hunting techniques and more efficient agriculture techniques. And so when they use copper, they could hunt faster and they could grow faster and more people have more time on their hands and they didn't know what to do. So they started exploring arts and they started exploring other ways of making a living. And that's, and then they ended up creating so much production from agriculture and from hunting and from these arts that they had to have a way to keep track of it all. So that's where, you know, the Phoenicians invented cuneiform to begin writing. And then they had so much in multiply, they had to figure out a way to, to calculate all this. And that's where mathematics came in. And, and while copper was a good metal, it, it didn't really uh, stay hard enough to be super effective. And so they tried creating alloys and adding in other things into that copper. One of them was arsenic. So like the early days of bronze, they actually put arsenic in the copper and that was really dangerous, but then they found tin. And so if you combine tin and copper, then you have bronze and that was even more efficient. That's when the bronze age exploded, but tin was hard to come by. And so now they had to go from, you know, traveling, uh, doing trade by river to actually having to trade over land and that's why they invented the wheel. It just completely blew my mind. I never thought that that was the way that it worked, but it was technology. And so I want to go into that group of, of uh, estate planners and tax attorneys and be like, look, yes, your job is going to change something. Your industry is going to change, but I think it's going to change for the better. It's going to speed it yes. up. So one thing I think that they're going to have a hard time with is the fact that most of them probably bill hourly. I don't think you're going to be able to be effective on hourly billing. And so I would probably tell them you need to look into more of a subscription type model. You know, so it's yes, we're all having to augment the way that we do business in order to accommodate this because it's going to speed up production so, so much faster. No, I, I agree with you entirely. I just had a discussion. You know, I say it all the time, but I talk to a lot of people like you do and um, they're convinced that AI is going to make everybody unemployed and nobody's going to have any jobs. And, I, and one of the examples I used, you know, I said, when's the last time you stopped to put fuel in your car? And he goes, well, yesterday. And I said, when you went there, did you happen to go inside, get a coffee, snack, anything like that? He goes, yeah, actually I did. I bought lunch, you know, they have all that there. And I said, so 
you probably can't remember. I know I can't remember, but before the internal combustion engine, we didn't have gas stations. They right. never even thought of a gas station, right. let alone when they started gas stations, did they think that they'd actually serve food out of a gas station or anything <laughs> right. that might taste any good? And nowadays, obviously, we have them on almost every corner. Yes. So I said, yes, while the people that made buggy whips prior to the internal combustion engine did lose their jobs, there aren't any buggy whip manufacturers around that I'm aware of. And I live in Amish territory, and I'm still not aware of any of them. Hmm. But we now have thousands, if not millions of people employed in those convenience stores, in those gas stations. And his argument was, yeah, but those aren't great paying positions. And I'm like, do you really think the guys making buggy whips made a lot of money? Right. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, and I'm not trying to dismiss anybody because everybody right. deserves to have good work that they love doing. But I see this AI as, as similar to the, the evolution of the, the internet or the internal combustion engine. This is going to change our paradigms. We're going to look back in 10 years and we're going to have things that we do every day 10 years from now that we can't even fathom today because of how AI is going to change things. That doesn't mean it's going to be bad. Yeah, It doesn't guarantee it's going to be good either. As you said, there's both, you can, uh, AI in and of itself is not inherently good or evil. It exists and it can be used for different things. But I, I love the way you say that. And uh, by the way, thanks for the copper thing. I got to do some research on that. That's really <laughs> intriguing it's how all that carried through as well. I agree yeah, with you. It's very e fascinating. Even if you look at the evolution of the wheel, you know, the, the, the initial wheel came from the idea of a potter's wheel. And so they thought, oh, we could probably create a wheel. And so that's where it came from. And then the Egyptians said these wheels are too heavy because they were made out of heavy wood. So they're the ones that invented spokes in order to make the wheels uh, more lightweight so they could actually go faster. And then it took about a thousand years, I think, before the Celts realized that they could wrap that wooden wheel with a metal uh, strip around it to protect it from, from breakdown. So even in that, you know, that all of a sudden a blacksmith has a whole new product that they get to promote Absolutely. people who have wheels, you know, have you ever watched singing in the rain? Yes, absolutely. I, I had never watched it. You know, I knew all the songs because I heard them growing up, but we watched it recently and it blew me away at how relevant it was to today because that movie is a representation of the, the transfer from silent movies to talking movies and if you remember in that movie, they the 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 film studios realized they had to switch to talking movies because that's what everybody wanted. Yes. And so they had to figure out one, the actors from the silent movie area era were not that great because they didn't have to be. And yes. so there's a there's a whole funny part about one of the actresses has a really terrible voice. And so they figure out a way to, to overcome that. Uh, but they also had to try to practice different ways to capture the voice. And so now you have whole new industries. Uh, you have vocal coaches that are going to have to teach the actors how to do things, you know, how to speak properly. You have a sound department now who has to figure out how to mic everything up and get it boomed properly. And then also they didn't have writers. They didn't need writers for the silent movies. So now they had to create actual dialogue. So now you have whole writing association that has to create. So 
technology in and of itself is not a bad thing or a good thing. It's the wisdom that you apply to it, right? Yes. You, oh, if absolutely. You, if you think of knowledge and data, if you think of a pyramid, there's a level of data that is the foundation. And then you have knowledge. And I think where LLMs are coming in is that, that they have the knowledge based on what we've given them to access that data and give you something. But it is the peak of that pyramid, which is wisdom. And that's where we still have to come in and, and push the buttons and make the things the right way, get the prompts in the right order, figure out that you got to put it into a PDF and throw it up into a vector database. <laughs> you know, so it takes someone else to, to figure all that stuff out in order to make it shine. No, so profound, so incredibly profound and and, and so accurate, I think, on, on describing that. Well, let's bring it back to marketing just a little bit here. So as you're talking to people and, and about AI and all that, what's the most common misperception that you feel people have about that merging of AI and marketing coming together? I know I've got my thoughts, but before I share them, I'd love to hear yours, James. What do you feel is that that biggest misconception people have about the marriage of marketing and AI together. So I think, I think it comes down to people just using AI thinking that they can put in a, a single sentence and get an entire uh, article back. That's going to be relevant contextual and all these other things. I, I think I see that a lot. I think a lot of people are yeah. trying to use these products there's new products coming out all the time. They're trying to make make it work, and it's just not not great. And so I think they're going to get discouraged. And so if you if you remember the internet, you know I I had the misfortune of teaching myself HTML about three days before the dot com bubble burst. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah. Oh. So yeah, it, it wasn't that soon, but it was it was like when was I was close, ready. Yeah. yeah, when I was ready to get out into the into the world. All of a sudden, they didn't need anybody that could code in HTML. I ended up having to take a sidetrack through manufacturing, which helped um, helped me tremendously with documentation and stuff. But I I think what what's what's happening is like there's a lull, right? And so right now in the lull, I don't think people are are trying to increase the quality of the outputs or really using the AI to their best ability. Or if they do, they think they have to spend an enormous amount of money uh, to go either create new products or subscribe to these wrappers of OpenAI. And, and so they're not really getting the full function of it. But then there's people like you and me who are tinkering and just constantly testing it out, constantly giving it new ways to do and new ways to think. And that, I think that is where you're gonna shine. I think if, if you're a marketer, or you're a business owner, I think that we need to learn how to ask the right questions. We need to become yes. almost professionals at interrogation. And we need to understand how to put context into it. Like, I, I don't think a lot of marketers are, are making context as high as it needs to be. They're all about content. Correct. But if, if content is king, consistency and context are its parents, right? And so, they think that they can use AI to create this consistent content, but it's not staying inside of context. It's not staying on brand. And that's why I felt it was so important to create this brand engine process and eventually turn that into an application so that people can get over that hurdle of actually creating that brand. Well, could not agree with you more. I, uh, I love what you said. My, 
my comment on it always is that I, I feel everybody with AI is looking for the easy button that yeah. you know Office Max used to say, and they want to be able to go well, you know, instead of instead of writing my resume and and spending literally weeks going over it, I just want to be able to go. So I'm Jonathan, and write my resume, and they expect it to be perfect. Right, and, and you and I both know it won't be. It's just um, not going to, yeah. That that brings me to a, a transition, and and everybody that's uh, listens to podcast regularly knows we call it the ninety one day success podcast because I love to ask people, especially given the economy and everything that's going on now. I think people are looking to start side gigs and figure things out and all that. If you had to start over, James, based on you'd have all your experience, but you had to start over, and you had a thousand dollars cash and you had a goal. That goal was to be generating. $10,000 in revenue by the end of 90 days, or we call it 91 days, three months. I always ask, what would you do? But I want to ask you something slightly different, if you don't mind, and I haven't prepped you for this. So if you want to think about it, that's okay. How would you, knowing what you know about AI and what you know about marketing, how would you utilize AI or maybe recommend the audience utilize AI in that situation to build a business? What could they be doing that they're not thinking of? Do you have any thoughts there? I do, and this this kind of goes into my overall strategy. Uh, Brand Engine is actually the middle part of this five-point strategy. I've been thinking a lot. I There's a lot of people out there that want to do business online. And yes. the one thing that I see constantly from them, so first let me tell you a quick story. I was a, I've been a digital marketer for a long time, and they have a Facebook group called Digital Marketer Engage. And years back, they had 15,000 people in this group. And you could always tell when a new group, a new group of people would enter in because the same questions would come through every single time. Sure. You know? And and so the the response would be, did you do an ideal client avatar? Did you do a customer value journey? Did you figure out before and after? Well, no, I didn't do any of that. And I realized that most people don't know who they help, how they help them, and why it matters. And so I started coming up. This is where I came up with the idea for Brand Engine is to be able to quickly answer all those questions and include outcomes, impact statements, and brand statements, and brand positioning, and voice, and all these different things. Um, but then I realized some people may not be ready at that point. And so like if people were just starting out, the first thing I would say is they need to get clarity about what they know that they actually know. Because what I see is so many people who, who have the experience and they have so much expertise, they go out and they get certification after certification after certification. And what they end up with is all this knowledge that doesn't serve them at all. And so mm -hmm. I have this, I'm writing a book called Forging Your Expertise, which is basically acknowledging this, all this knowledge, and then asking yourself, what is it that I really know? And how do I really want to impact the world and narrowing it down to a core expertise? And that's what I've been doing. I realized that web design was not, was no longer really my strength. My strength was helping these people overcome imposter syndrome because the reason why they have imposter syndrome is because they have so much of this knowledge base, but they lack all the confidence. And so if, yes. they, if they narrow it down to a narrow expertise, that prepares them for that next step, which is to then go and create the brand um, the brand engine. So if you, you have your expertise nailed down, you got your brand engine down, then at that point, you're ready to go into what I call a market engine, which is simply just 
taking that, uh, that brand engine into an AI tool and then applying whatever framework that you want to it. Like I can imagine one day, let's say I had uh, unlimited funds for VC. I would love to build a platform where it has your brand engine in there. And then you say, you know what, today I want to create a CBJ and you a customer value journey. And you just hit a button and it just creates it. Or I want to go create a landing page for this offer. And you just hit a button and it goes and creates it. And I don't think that day is too far away. As you say, I think we're close to that. James. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that day is too far away, but the reason why I'm so passionate about that is because we're living in a time where anybody could really be their own boss. And, and, and a lot of people do here in Tulsa, I've seen so many tech accelerators start up. We just got named an official federal tech hub here. And so a tool like this would help change the entire community here to speed up that process and allow them to get to the work and actually validate it. Cause what, what these tools do, what any of the work that you do in marketing or any of the work that even if you use this brand engine, it's a hypothesis. And, and you got to get to the point where you can actually get out there and test the hypothesis through experimentation, figure out what works, figure out what doesn't, then go back, make adjustments to your brand engine, go and do it again. That's what I want. I want people to actually do the thing that God created them to do so that they're in their genius zone and not struggling mm. trying to come up with a brand. <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love it, man. Well, we could go on for a very long time. <laughs> I have a feeling, James, and we're going to have to do another episode here because I, I could talk forever, but we're, we're wrapping up on the on the hour limit here. And I want to respect our listeners' times and your time as well. That's what I asked you for. Um, one final question in, in parting. What one piece of advice would you give to someone that maybe listened to us today and said, all right, that was kind of technical in spots, but it was inspiring. I want to do that. What one thing would you challenge that business owner, that entrepreneur, that professional to do with AI between this is going to be released on a Friday? So let's say over the weekend, what would you challenge them to do? What one thing? The the one thing that I have, have left with, and every time I've, I've given a discussion like this, is find a way to capture data. We know that we need to get those email accounts. We know we need to get pixel data and all this. Find whatever way that you can capture data about your customers and whatever data that you can get ethically. I think that there's a way for you to be able to use that data to then put into any AI marketing system to help you reach the right kind of clients moving forward. But having your own data that you control is the same concept of having your own website. It's something that you can control and that you can utilize to to uh, to 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 be able to reach your audience better. That's what I think. I, I don't know what that means for for you and your particular business, but any way that you can find ways to get AI to help collect data and use that data, that's where I would put my money in. Great advice. And I think a great place to start thinking about how can we integrate AI into our businesses to add value, not only to us, but ultimately to add value to our customers and the clients and what we're delivering to them. Uh, I know I always talk about serving our clients because that's the way I look at it. I, I believe I'm here to serve others. And I think AI gives us a great ability to serve at a higher level and more efficiently, more effectively, and ultimately 
quoting Alex Hermosi, whose book somewhere behind me, ultimately deliver more value to those customers. Absolutely. So, James, I want to thank you for joining us today. We'll make sure we put your content information here. We'll get the, the links to put in for uh, some of the prompts you were talking about and absolutely one for your course as well. Uh, guys, I've got James' course. It's amazing stuff. You can tell by listening to him. He knows what he's talking about. And there is so much value uh, in what he's providing. Uh, I want to encourage everybody, if you're listening to this, go out and buy his course. It, you will be amazed. Um, you know, I don't promote a lot of stuff on here, but um, James has done an amazing job. He's an amazing human being with just an abundance of knowledge to share. Uh, this is a, a very small investment that could change your business literally overnight. So uh, highly recommended. Thank you, James. So much. Thank you. Oh, thank you again. And for all those of you who have stuck with us through the podcast, I know we went a little longer today, but I want to just thank you for your loyalty, for listening through us, and let you know that we will see you on the other side. Make it a great day, everybody. Bye bye.